Welcome to Steal Your Take, or shall I say, welcome back. This is episode two. It is Tuesday, August 15th at, my goodness, 9.55 p.m. Eastern Time. This is what I get for doing a podcast with two guys in Central Time Zone. (laughs) James Jackson, Brad Campbell, Clark Forster. Guys, we got one show under our belts. Uh, Looks like... uh, we got a few listeners too, which is nice. Um, I got some good feedback on my end. A uh, couple critics, but I like it. I like people telling me uh, how they really feel. What kind of feedback do y'all get? I mean, I was just shocked that anybody listened to this shit, first of all. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, I mean, I got a lot of good feedback. Uh, you know, just I, I, I obviously didn't get any criticism about any of my information because I'm never wrong. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I had a great time last week, so everything's been good coming on there. Yeah, so apparently I need to put it out there that um, I broadcast an error last week and that Auburn and Florida (laughs) played in 2011. So apologies to our many listeners out there. Um, But, yeah, kind of to echo that sentiment, just glad people were listening. Um, You know, we kind of. Talked about the first week that we were expecting for there to be three listeners, y'all's two moms, and then my wife. So glad to know that we <laughs> eclipsed those expectations and that people actually listen to the whole thing. So I think that's that's a, a pretty good start. So guys, uh, the stats are pretty interesting. Uh, about 60% of our listeners were men. Uh, 18% mm. um, did not announce their gender. And 22% were female. Um, so any of you guys out there who need some attention from the opposite sex, you know, just, uh, start a sports podcast (laughs) (laughs) and there you go. Great advice. They'll come running. Uh, but James, you touched on your error. Uh, we were joking before we started the show. Uh, we got a bunch of great text messages after our first show, uh, a bunch of great feedback. We really appreciate all the support. Um, some of our best friends, uh, were our biggest critics and that's what we love. But uh, we had one listener send me a text message at 5.30 a.m. in the morning, the day after the show released, and said Auburn and Florida did not play in 2011 when James said they went from 07 to, what was it, 18, James? 19, yeah. 19, which they did, but they played in 2011 in between. And the text had the dot, dot, dot afterwards, which the dot, 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 you know, always infers something. He's like, I want you to take this for more than what it is. Uh, But just a shout out to that listener. Uh, Yeah. You know, you know, you I was about to say, you know who you are, and you know uh, you and are. I, I apologize, <laughs> but just know that that I love you. You're you're a G, so <laughs> all good. Haven't seen you but, in too long. I would love to catch up. But I'm shocked he only found one thing we got wrong. I was also telling you, I think it. I said Kurt Schilling, uh, his bloody sock was in the 04 World Series, which everybody knows who's ever watched a baseball game. That was Yankees-Red Sox and the great Red Sox comeback. Um I'm sure we got a million other things wrong. That was just the the one thing somebody actually noticed. And and we're going to get a bunch of other stuff wrong. (laughs) I I can only hope it's not as bad as like people who are actually better at their job and actually get paid for it. Like we also mentioned Colin Cowherd, his segment a couple weeks ago where he was talking, he did a whole segment on trading draft picks for Shohei Otani when the MLB does not allow you to trade draft picks and him and his co-host are going back and forth on this whole topic about how many draft picks and what sort of draft capital they'd give up for Shohei Otani. And then a week later, Cal Hurd comes back and tells you 
all the quarterbacks this year that he doesn't think can win a Super Bowl. And one of them is Dwayne Haskins, who has been deceased for 16 months right now. So if people like Colin Cowhart are messing up that sort of stuff, oh my goodness, I can't imagine what we're going <laughs> to screw up as we go on this little journey. I mean, that is a mistake, but he also is not wrong. That guy's not going to win a Super He's Bowl. He's not. <laughs> facts. Facts. There were some other names on that list too, like Paxton Lynch and just weird names that his producers also put up on there, kind of like the Kevin Brown stuff where the producers put it on there. The the person hosting the show is all with it and nobody realizes that this is just a, a giant mistake. Um, but speaking of mistakes, I'm shocked we even got our podcast uploaded to begin with. <laughs> um, I can't believe we figured that out and it broadcasted and people could hear it and our Wi-Fi worked and nothing went terribly wrong. I just got back from Houston this weekend and I was at the Angels Astros game to see Shohei. And of course, we've got our new Instagram account. Uh, I don't personally have an Instagram account, but you know, I got to get some content for the people out there. So I try to do one of those story things. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Y'all are Instagram yeah. people's stories, <laughs> Instagram stories. So yeah, our, our feed is going to be like posting pictures about like podcasts coming up and podcasts is posted, but our stories, we're going to show you stuff about whenever we're at events. So I'm like, all right, Shohei rips a double. I filmed it. I'm like, I'm going to post this as a story. Like this is perfect. And I'm trying to post and sitting next to my cousin and I'm like, all right, man, how the heck do I do this? And he's walking me through it and he's like, all right, first you got to like make a reel. I'm like, what the heck is a reel? And then so I make a reel. I'm able to get the reel up, but I don't want a reel. I want a story. I need to show up my story. I finally am able to get it into story. And then it says like, instead of showing my awesome caption, which is like show, showtime, stuff like that, uh, that would get all types of traffic. It just <laughs> says like, congratulations on your first reel. So I don't know. His, his wife was sitting there sending me videos of like scrolling through her phone and like what buttons to hit on Instagram to make this happen. So I may need a tutorial from you guys on uh, the social media side of things. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, You're just learning. It was, that was a good clip though. It looked like he absolutely rocked that baseball. It was the second hardest hit ball in the major leagues this year, actually. Well, there you go. Um, went one for four with two K's. Uh, did rip that double 118.3 miles an hour. And then his last at bat, he uh, had warning track power. So he was about a, a mm. millimeter away from going two for four with two extra base hits. Um, but fun to watch him play. Uh, the Astros have a cool stadium. That place was packed out, going crazy. Um, yeah. We got a lot to talk about on today's show, a lot of baseball as well. Uh, we'll sound off on James Harden's latest tantrum as he once again tries to force his way to a new team. And if you can really blame him this time around, we'll do our best to dissect a very disturbing news story about one of the most exciting young superstars in baseball. And Brad will try to contain himself as he tells us why it's actually an exciting summer to be a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. Duval! <laughs> you, you beat but me to first, it. to lead the show... The home run hitting, tomahawk chopping, MLB leading Atlanta Braves. Brad, why don't you take start us off and tell us what's gotten into the Braves this year? Man, I don't know. They are absolutely crushing, though. Um, they've got a couple. Well, they're just 
essentially on record-setting pace in multiple statistical categories now. Uh, best record in the big leagues, best run differential by a long shot, best record since the All-Star break, the 35 and 23. Um, I, 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 it's unbelievable. They're leading the league in runs, home runs, RBI, batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage. Um, couple, couple like well, so they have 229 home runs, puts them on pace for 313 home runs. The record is 307, set by the Twins in 2019. So it'll be fun to watch them try to trace down that record. Um, they've also got a 503 slugging percentage, and guys, no team in MLB history has ever slugged above 500. So are you serious? Yeah, the previous record is or the. I mean, I, I can only assume they'll break this now, but the record's 495 set by the Astros in 2019. Um, wow. So they could be the first team to ever break 500 in slugging percentage. It's the best power hitting team of all time. I don't I mean, it's hard to argue that at this point. And they may actually end up breaking these records to prove it. But I mean, it's just been wild to see. Uh, and by the way, their pitching staff is really good as well. Seventh best ERA in baseball, fifth in strikeouts. And and they've done that while not even being entirely uh, healthy. Matt Free, uh, Max Free just got back on the mound last night against the Yankees. They got a win well. under his belt, and uh, yeah, pitched well. Only a couple strikeouts, I think, but he'll get back in the swing of things. And we're still waiting on Kyle Wright to get back. Once that staff's healthy, I mean, there's no limit on how exactly how good this team can be come playoff time. Well, it's interesting, too, you touched on the pitching. And, of course, uh, there's all sorts of statistics out there to show what the lineup's done. But I didn't realize the bullpen has the second-best ERA in the major leagues. Um, and that's I don't, I don't think people have focused on that a lot. And to also touch on your point about one of the best offenses we've ever seen, the historical stats support that. Yeah. Um, they're, the Braves are currently tied – with the 1927 Yankees, one of the most famous lineups of all time, Murderers Row, with the highest weighted runs created plus of all time at 125. Um, so that's saying something when you're when you're put up against people like that that have, mm-hmm. have set have that some, record. I have some other good stats I would like to interject mm-hmm. in this conversation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just to to prove the points that the Braves are like Benny the Jet Rodriguez when he's knocking the cover off of the ball. <laughs> On the sandlot. All right, so the Braves have six players with 20-plus home runs in the fewest games for any team to reach that mark. So uh, Olsen has 43, Albies 28, Riley 28, Acuna 26, Ozuna 23, and then Murphy at 20. And actually, this was as of yesterday, so I'm not sure what they did tonight. Um, But this one was really impressive to me. The Braves have 22 homers of over 450 feet this year second Goodness place gracious. is the colorado rockies with 10 so already with mm. 22 of those that's the most ever in a season the 21 rockies had 19 My so they goodness. have already set the record even if they don't hit another bomb the rest of the year for the most wow just absolute demolished <laughs> home run balls yeah that's um, incredible. so like y'all were saying they lead you know so they've they've hit now 229 the dodgers are one eighty something, the Angels one seventy six, and the Rays at one seventy three. So it's a pretty big gap. Um, and then this one was pretty impressive to me. So the Braves have thirty two more home runs than the two teams combined with the fewest in each league. So the Guardians and Nationals together 
have 193. The Braves have 32. More, actually, more than that now. More than those two teams combined. So they're just pulverizing the baseball. By the way, the Braves won five to nothing tonight. Yeah. Uh, Azuna and Acuna each went yard, and the Braves were averaging 1.94 home runs a game. Uh, mm-hmm. So that um, keeps pace with that. And the Twins, mm-hmm. during the season that Brad talked about, averaged 1.9 home runs a game. So yeah. the Braves are one game closer to achieving that feat. Well, and I think, uh, too, what's, what's so impressive about it is it's not just, you know, Olsen and Acuna. I mean, it's up and down the lineup. Uh, there's no easy out here. They all can can make you pay for a bad pitch at any point in the game. So they're they're always in it. You can never be comfortable as a pitcher. No, I think that's one of the best things about it is the depth to this team yeah. is is kind of unbelievable. I mean, even now with Ozzy Albies going on the IL, uh, our boy Nicky Lopez just stepping right up. My God, it was, unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 incredible. He's what batting the- seven hundred since the trade deadline. Right, right, yeah. So I mean, it's just next man up, you know. Um, I didn't even know who Nicky Lopez was a few I weeks ago. Neither did I. Neither did I. But now he's in the record books after that game he had where he pitched. Yeah, and the, the scoreless inning. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, um, so should we hop into the MVP debate now? Yeah, let's go. All right, so. There is an MVP race on our on our hands. Brad, why don't you tell us about the race and where you stand on it? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's been clear all year that the NL MVP is going to come out of Atlanta. I uh, just think it's unclear who that's going to be now. Um, obviously, if the season ended today, I think Acuna would win it running away. I mean, the guy's hitting 337. That's third in the league. He's got 26 home runs, 71 RBI. Leads the major league, leads major league baseball and runs scored. Leads it in on base percentage, and he's got six point three wins above replacement, which leads the league. Uh, and for those that don't know what wins above replacement is, don't worry, nobody knows what that stat means. But it's really important. <laughs> uh, the best players of all time score really highly in that category. But um, he's the fastest player in major league baseball to reach a hundred runs scored. 25 home run, 50 stolen base in a season. He did it in just 11, 111 games. Uh, so he's already breaking records to this point, and he's on pace to do some things that people have never done. He's like four, he's four home run and five stolen base shy of becoming the first player in history to hit 30 home runs, still 60 bases in the same season. Um, and he'd only be the third player ever to do uh, 30 and 50, along with Eric Davis and Barry Bonds. That's right, yeah. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by 4040. I, I just think it's such a, a cool baseball a number. Yeah, yeah it is. I want, it's it's the one everyone talks about. Well, I mean, it was it's been the talk before the season when when the rules changed and the bases got bigger and pitchers were only allowed to throw back to first three times before the runner was able to advance. Um, everyone knew stolen bases would be up, and you look at the people in this league that steal bases and there's only one guy with the power of Ronald Acuna. So mm. I think he's had that pressure on him all year to kind of like have this 40, 40 chase and he hit number 27 tonight. He's right in it. Um, he's a little bit behind on the home run pace, but yeah. 13, 13 home runs with what is that? 43 games left to play. Uh, definitely not out of the realm. A lot of it's going to depend on, on really just, if he's going to continue to play day in, day out. Um, the good thing is he does have the stolen bases. Uh, 
the Braves probably are not going to be sending him as much anymore. Uh, you look at people like Mike Trout, who the Angels don't even let him steal hardly anymore, and he was one of the best dealers in baseball. Mm-hmm. It is a risky play, um, and with the Braves so far ahead right now in the East, uh, you're probably not going to be sending Acuna as much, but I hope he gets it. The four people who have got it are Jose Canseco in 1988, Barry Bonds in 1996, and A-Rod in 98. Uh, and you look at that list, uh, Ronald Acuna would be the first non-steroid hitter to do it besides i guess the last person did was alfonso soriano in 2006 with the nationals in kind of a forgotten season Hmm. a lot of people forget soriano did that and i even forgot it while i was just listening off um Hmm. what do y'all think about acuna's 40 40 chase and uh his odds of reaching that number yeah i mean he's he's off the pace now he's on pace for 36 home runs he's only hit seven home runs since july 1st so He's not on a drought by any means because he's hitting like 340 in that stretch, but the power has kind of subsided. Um, I think the interesting thing as it pertains to this conversation is 40-40 doesn't guarantee you an MVP. The only MVP out of all those four guys in in the season that they went 40-40 was Canseco, the first one that ever did it in 1988. So I think that if he he does get there, though, in his case, none of them have hit for the average that that Acuna is um so I think that ultimately if he gets there uh and regardless if he does probably takes on the MVP I mean he's still the heavy favorite to win it at minus 450 but yeah I mean certainly certainly curious to see if he can pick up the pace with the home runs and get there because I mean that's the most exclusive club in baseball I feel like and I know we keep reeling off just numbers and stats, but there really are just dozens and dozens of crazy things that this Braves lineup is doing. Uh, and it really is just a, a nerd's dream to kind of go through all this and see where <laughs> what they've done historically and where these numbers match up. But then you just have random stats, stats that you don't think about. And, I mean, I saw a stat the other day through August 13th, the New York Mets, the highest payroll in baseball, had scored 38 first-inning runs. Ronald Acuna had scored 35. Mm. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and when you have all that power behind you and all those studs and all those stars, and you're starting off every game, you know, on the base pass, stealing bases, coming across home plate, and just get out in front of teams like that, it just puts so much pressure on the opponent. And it's no wonder the Braves uh, are where they are and are on pace to win, what now, like, what, like 105 games? Mm-hmm. which would be the second most they've done in franchise history outside of 98, which was 106, which they could definitely pass that the way they're going. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Brad, what else do you have on the, the MVP odds? So I'm looking at the, the odds that I have. You said Acuna was minus 450. Yeah, last I checked. You know, I have some <laughs> – so I started looking into this last week, and I want to talk about when, – when the conversation – we can move the conversation over to Matt Olson – because when I was looking at these odds, I started looking at them last week. Friday night, I checked Matt Olson's odds to win the MVP. They were plus 6,000, so 60 to 1. I checked on Saturday during the doubleheader during the first game. They'd gone all the way down to 32 to 1. Checked again that night, and they'd fallen all the way to 19 to 1. And today, they sit at 16 to 1. It's wow. funny because I was initially going to come on here and tell people to go buy now yeah. at 60 to 1. You'll, you'll be rich. But it was too little too late. His, uh, Vegas is caught up with it. They see they see what's going on in Atlanta. So. And it is going to be hard to track down Acuna. Um, like we were talking about earlier, this race had kind of been written off by everybody uh, around the All-Star break. 
Shohei's winning the AL MVP. Acuna's winning the NL MVP. Kind of decision made. And when you do put that in people's brain, they kind of just forget about it. And when you do see somebody kind of coming up, you're like, all right, I see Matt Olson coming. I'll pay attention to him now. And then they start looking and they're like, well, has Acuna fallen off at all? No, he hasn't. Like you said, mm. seven home runs since the break. That's the only thing you could really point to, but he's still hitting for average. He's still doing everything he was doing at the beginning of the season that made him the player that he is. And he's got a war of 6.3 right now, which is a full game above Matt Olson at 5.2. Um, Matt Olson only has the fifth best w- wins above replacement in the National League. Uh, mm-hmm. He's still behind Freddie Freeman and he's still behind Mookie Betts. Um, but I think Olson's best argument. And Brad, I sent you this stat the other day is baseball is one of those games where you can, especially the way analytics are now, you can put two players side by side and you can go through all the data and you can cover the face of each player and you can literally say, this player is better than that player. Almost Mm. 99.9% of the time. If they're really close, then you got to kind of weigh what you value. But oftentimes the numbers do tell the tale when you have sample sizes of 162 games. But I think Olsen's best argument for the MVP right now is that he's slugging 760 with runners on base. Mm. That is the clutch side of things that's hard to value. And a stat like this does that. That's 76, mm. That 760 slugging with runners on base, that's the highest slugging percentage since Barry Bonds in 2004. So Matt Olsen... He may not be right where Acuna is in terms of wins above replacement. He's above him in OPS, obviously above him in home runs, above him in RBIs, but he is clutch. And, but again, you can also make the argument that who's the guy that's most often on base when Matt Olson steps up to plate and is putting up those numbers and it's Ron. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think the thing to think about though, is that like his numbers are climbing up into the MVP conversation now um, not that he hasn't played great all season, but what is it going to look like when we get to the end of the season? I mean, since July 1st, he's hitting 346 with 15 home run and 40 RBIs. If that home run that's, number starts with a six, that changes a lot of things. That's And that's what I'm saying, because right now he's on pace for 59, by the way. So he's on track. And by the way, the way he's hitting. So Matt Olson has not really been a guy that hits for average. Uh, yeah. In fact, if you go back to June 1st, he was hitting 231 for the season. Raises average 45 points since then. So, like, this transformation into this incredible hitter has just been really kind of baffling to see because that was not what we expected when we got Matt Olson. Um, he's also, by the way, his OPS on June 1st was 888. He's raised it 119 points. His OPS has he really? 119 uh, points from 888. Yeah, I mean, so it's one thing a, to go from 670 to, you know, mm-hmm. 790, but my goodness. Yeah, he's got the second best OPS in baseball now. So if he keeps hitting like this, and this is where I just keep going back to, if he keeps doing this through the end of the season, I think by the time we get there, it's going to be a very interesting debate. So Freddie Freeman is second in <clears throat> NL MVP odds, interesting enough. Um, as most of you know, Braves fans obviously do that. That was a choice the Braves made. Um, they took in Matt Olson, Freddie Freeman went to the Dodgers, uh, Freddie Freeman signed for, what did he sign for? I think I've got that written down. Freeman signed for six years, 162 million, 27 million a year. He'll be a free agent in 2028. Matt Olson, uh, 
He signed for eight years, 168 million, 21 million a year. He signed through 2029 with a club option in 2030. Matt Olson doesn't turn 30 until March. Freddie turns 34 in September. Look, Freddie, if you'd have told anyone what Freddie would have done since leaving the Braves, not only is he not falling off, I mean, he may be getting even better. That's crazy to say, but he really might. But I don't care how good Freddie's been. You cannot sit there and tell me that this wasn't a good move by the Braves. You get younger, you get cheaper, and you get this sort of power. Very similar statistics. Uh, Olsen just a hair above him in OPS. Um, it's been an incredible move by a front office that has made a bevy of them in the past years, and the Braves are set up for years to come. Uh, any thoughts on the Olsen signing and the Freddie release? Yeah, I mean, uh, props to the Braves were recognizing that Matt Olson was playing in a very uh, pitcher friendly park. And, you know, so I think that kind of hurt his numbers. They recognized his potential and what could happen if they put him in a lineup and in a park that's more favorable. And you've seen that. So uh, great move there. And I, I had just a couple of, of uh, kind of random stats that I wanted to throw in Clark. You were t- talking about Olson's clutch factor earlier. Um, I r- randomly found earlier today, Matt Olson has put his team into the lead 25, 25 times this year, which is more than anyone else in the bigs. Wow. So also that clutch factor. And then two, he has more homers this year than the Braves have losses, which is just, <laughs> yeah. and, and two, you know, Brad's saying he's, he's on pace for, you know, 59 or 60 or whatever. I mean, he could, that could hold up to where he ends up hitting more bombs than the Braves have losses, which is just kind of hard to wrap my mind around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's wild. But um, but to your point, Freddie, when Freddie left Atlanta as a Braves fan, you know, I, I'm a lifelong Braves fan. I was heartbroken because that guy was the face of the franchise. I thought he was going to be a career. I thought he was going to be like the next chipper. You know, I thought he was going to be there uh, as a career player. He was the heart and soul of that World Series team. And so to see him leave was definitely upsetting and disappointing. And I felt like he wanted to stay in Atlanta too, which was another thing that it was kind of tough to see him go. But with what Matt Olson is doing, it makes it a lot easier to to swallow that pill for sure. Yeah. And by the way, to add to that, I mean, he was coming off winning the MVP too. Right. Um, Like how it's unfathomable that you can replace that guy and somehow they've managed to do it. Um, But like you said, it's just a credit to the, the team in terms of just filling in the gaps like you got to let him go um I, I still kind of hang my hat on if that strike doesn't happen that freddie freeman's probably still a brave it looked like it was like about to be done and then the strike occurred and it just kind of festered and it almost like gave this room to where it seems like once things got back into the swing and they started having negotiations everything had changed um but they they obviously made the moves they had to and replaced him with a guy that now is right there at his level. So it's it's just unbelievable uh, that it turned out that way. I mean, you guys are talking about it's unbelievable that they've been able to re- replace Freddie Freeman. And this is, we're talking about Freddie Freeman a year that he's got a one dot OPS, a three thirty nine yeah. batting average, twenty three right. bombs, eighty three ribbies, and forty six doubles. Right. Yeah, don't get Just me wrong. I, I would I would be happy if Freddie was still a brave, but yeah. I'm also glad that Matt Olson's on the squad for sure. And, guys, and while- one other thing, one other thing I'll point out is, uh, you know, Freddie's got a strong case uh, for second place, um, but 
if they are able to finish first and second, that'll only be the seventh time that teammates have ever finished one and two on the ballot. So, I mean, if they can't both take it home, I'd love to see them finish one and two. It hadn't happened in 23 years. Last time was Jeff Kent and Barry Bonds to the Giants in 2000. Mm. So. so, Brad, you just helped me into a good segue. Um, there's a very good chance that we could see the top four NL MVP finishers. Actually, there's not a good chance. It's likely mm. that the top four NFL MVP NL MVP finishers will be from two teams, the Braves and the Dodgers, because yeah. Mookie is right there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's let's move this conversation to the playoffs. There's clearly two teams that if you're a Braves fan, that you're a little bit iffy about playing. And that's the Phillies, who are red hot right now. They have been for basically ever since May. And that's the Dodgers. What do you think of y'all's playoff chances? if you have to go through both of them. Let's say you play Philly in round two, and then uh, you got to play the Dodgers in the NLCS. Because right now, according to Vegas, and I agree with them, the Braves are plus 165 just to make it to the World Series. And I agree with that because I, I think it, the odds of you beating both those teams if you have to play them, it's, it's, just, a, it's just a very difficult path. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I just – I don't know if it's because – of the season. I mean, I was there in game six when they beat the Dodgers. I just don't fear the Dodgers anymore. Um, they have been, you know, right there with the best teams in baseball, though, uh, since the All-Star break, obviously. Dodgers only a few seem, games back of the Braves right now. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, everything seems to be coming together there. You got to keep an eye on them. Um, the Phillies, I, I don't know. It's just last year – still feels like it was – I don't want to call it a fluke, but, man, they just got hot at the right time. Um, no, not saying that that's not possible to happen again, but they just aren't a team that I view as a as a significant danger to the Braves' chances to win the World Series, but we'll see what happens in the playoffs. James, either one of those teams scurry as a Braves fan? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you get in the playoffs, any team is dangerous. They're there for a reason. Um, so I, winning a World Series is tough. You know, there's there that that's why, uh, you know, they're so celebrated and and, you know, they're hard to come. by. I mean, the Braves, as good as they were for all the the years in the 90s with those ridiculous pitching staffs and everything, they only won one. You know, they won 14 straight division titles or whatever it was and had one World Series to show for it. So, um, yeah, I mean, that Dodgers lineup, like you're talking about, they got Freeman and Betts and they have superstars all over the place out there and then, yeah, if a team gets hot like the Phillies or, or whatever. I mean, baseball is one of those games where anybody can beat anybody on a given day. So, um, But all that being said, I do think that the Braves right now are the best team in baseball, and I, I do think that they're the favorite to make the World Series out of the NL. Mm -hmm. I agree. But I, yeah. I'm, I love that Lance Lynn pickup by the Dodgers, and he looked good yeah. since he's joined the Dodgers. He looks like the old Lance Lynn. If you can run out Clayton Kershaw, Tony Gonsolin – Julio Urias and Lance Lynn. Yeah. I mean, that's tough. That's really tough. And the Phillies, they made a great pickup too. I mean, granted, he'll be their number four probably behind uh, Nola Wheeler and Tywin Walker, but Michael Lorenzen, all-star. Now he got selected to the all-star game because of the the one player per club rule. He wouldn't have been an all-star without that rule. But That's all right. He, he made in, it. He comes in with the Phillies and throws a no-hitter. Um so the Phillies are, 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 are looking good. The Dodgers are looking great. And the Braves are going to have a challenge on their hands. I, I suspect that the Braves will wind up only having to play one of them because that's just the way things usually shake out. But if they play two, that's a very difficult road. 
I hope they only have to play one of them. Yeah. I hope guys, they don't have to play either one of them. One more, one more. Uh, we've been unloading stats. There's just so many of them that are great with the Braves. But one more stat, Dom, before we move on to the next subject. Do you all know what Matt Olson did his rookie year? What's that? This might be my favorite Matt Olson stat. He hit 24 home runs in only 59 games as a rookie in 2017. Let me repeat that. 24 home runs in 59 games as a rookie. <laughs> I mean, the dude has a natural power. He always has. And that power is going to age gracefully through that contract. Mm. Uh, from one fun conversation to a not so fun conversation, uh, we got a disturbing story out of baseball about one of the faces of the league, to be honest. Uh, this is a guy who could very well be a future MVP, um, a future MLB The Show cover boy, a household name, and, and a guy that the Rays have locked up for a long time when they usually don't, when they usually aren't able to. Uh, Wander Franco has been in the news for all the wrong reasons this week. Um, a lot of facts are still coming out. A lot of information is still coming out. We don't know the whole truth. Um, it's a lot of speculation. Uh, we don't want to sit here and speculate too much. Uh, we can share what we know and kind of give our opinions on what it means uh, for the Rays, for Wander, how the MLB might handle it. But James, why is Wander Franco in such hot water right now? Yeah, so um, just want to preface this by saying that we live in the United States of America where you are innocent until proven guilty. So just know that, you know, all of this is going to come to light. It will eventually, you know, the, the truth will out. But in the meantime, it's all hearsay, speculation, rumor. It's Internet, you know, Twitter or X, whatever sensation right now. Um, you know, it's it's the, the hottest story. But um, I've been following Wander Franco closely because... He was supposed to come through Montgomery and be a Montgomery biscuit uh, when he was drafted by the Rays organization. And the COVID year, when they got shut down, was the year that he was supposed to come through Montgomery. So he skipped over us, went straight to AAA, and then pretty much immediately jumped up to the bigs. So I'm still salty that I missed out on the chance to see Wander Franco play in person. You know, I could have added him to the list of getting to see Longoria and David Price and Scott Casimir and Delman Young and all these great biscuits that, that were part of great teams in Montgomery. And, and James, so, sorry to interrupt you. I'll let you finish your point. But for those who don't know, I mean, Wander Franco is a bigger name as a prospect than most anybody. This is a guy who signed for $4 million at age 16. Okay. He was the number one prospect in baseball. There's been hype around this kid for forever. And when right. you get a chance to see him in the minors, that's just a big deal for somebody who's got a team in their backyard. So go right. on, I'll let you finish. Yeah, no, that was, that was a good addition. Appreciate that. So, so yeah, so like you mentioned, he signed the largest contract in team history, 11 years, $182 million, with a team option in the 12th year where the deal could max out at $223 million. It had different incentives. You know, he finishes in the top five of MVP voting and things like that. He can get raises, and there were some other incentives in there as well. So, uh, you know, young kid, um, superstar, you know, to this point, he's been injured a lot in his career but has really good numbers to this point. He's a, a lifetime 282 hitter so far uh, with 30 home runs and, and right around uh, a 10 war uh, for his career. And so this year he's played the most games so far to this point. He's hitting 281, 
819 OPS, 17 bombs, and um, I think it's just over five war. And he made the all-star game for the first time. So he's having a great year. Uh, you know, the Braves, I mean, the Rays are finally feeling like their investment's paying off. And then all of a sudden on Sunday, the story drops that Wander is potentially in a relationship with a minor. And so it turns out that there is a 14-year-old girl that apparently there are pictures of, of him with that you know he's potentially in a relationship with. And so on Sunday, he was scratched from their game, uh, was still you know in the dugout, just wasn't playing. Um, then all of a sudden in the fifth inning, he gets removed from the dugout uh, and is placed on the restricted list. So, you know, it, it's under investigation, but it kind of seems like there may be something to it with actions like that. And not to mention the timing of this on the Sunday game where he was pulled from the dugout, it happened to be a Rays giveaway day where they were giving away a Wander Franco snapback hat for 14 year olds and under. Mm. And so, I mean, it's just, just unreal. Uh, that marketing person has probably jumped off whatever the tallest building in Tampa is. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I, I mean, the timing of that is just as brutal as it's unreal as it could possibly get. I, it's almost one of those things. It's like stranger. I mean, you can't make that up. Uh, so anyways, the Rays are out West right now. They're playing in San Francisco in an interleague series, but they have a West coast road trip and Wander has not made that trip. So he's out indefinitely while they're looking into this. Um, and honestly, you know, there have been a lot of jokes about it and, and I get it. It's a, you know, you know, like, like one of the things I saw was, it's well, the I internet. Guess, right. I guess Wander has been called back down to the minors, you know, stuff like that. So, um, I get it, but at the same time, it is a serious issue. And also I hate it for the guy because he is a young up and comer and, you know, I'm hoping that it's something that's a misunderstanding and not what the situation appears to be. So I'm hoping for the best for him. But again, we'll see how the investigation goes. But there also are reports that the attorney general down in the Dominican Republic does have an open investigation looking into it. So it kind of seems like there's a lot of smoke around this, which, you know, usually that means there's fire somewhere. So, uh, but it'll definitely be interesting to see how it plays out. And two, he is arguably the best player on one of the best teams in baseball at a crucial time of the, of the season. So it's uh, it's a relevant story for sure. And again, there's a lot of information out there. A lot of it can't. A lot of it we don't know if it's true or not. Um, even the the whole 14 year old thing. Apparently, the girl is much older in the accusations. Uh, she's much older now and she's saying this happened a while ago. There are pictures of them together. It doesn't mean that they're together, um, in that way, so to speak, we don't know much, but again, when major league baseball, the Dominican Republic and the authorities are all sitting there investigating something, something like this, and the Rays are pulling him from a pennant race and sitting him at home for a six game road trip out to the giants when they're fighting for their play, when they're fighting for their, postseason lives and and they've got a team that can legitimately win the AL this year it's just tough because he's the face of the franchise we talked about earlier James mentioned the contract uh 11 for 182 and that's a bargain by the way that reminds me a lot of the deal that the 
Braves were able to sign Acuna for when Acuna was what twenty one when he yeah. signed eight for a hundred million back eight for one hundred million back in two thousand nineteen. So at the time Acuna was just twenty one. He was the youngest ever to sign a one hundred million dollar contract, and Wander broke that record because when he signed his one hundred eighty two million dollar deal, he was twenty years old. And you've got a guy who's twenty one years old, or I guess twenty two now. He's got the fifth highest WAR in baseball. He's only going to get better. Uh, this contract is a total steal and it comes for a team that has major trouble locking up its homegrown talent. This is a team who has one of the best farm systems in baseball that every time it comes time to have to pay these players, they cannot afford it. And they trade these players away to other teams and they get more minor leaguers in there so they can build back up that farm system. They've got a formula and it works for them. It is the money ball formula. It is the, the, the farm formula. But when you're able to finally keep a guy like this and you're able to get him at an affordable rate and you're able to lock him up for for until he's 33 years old and have fans knowing that they can come to every game knowing that, hey, I'm going to be every time I come here, Wander's going to be here five years from now, Wander's going to be here. We've got a superstar on our hands that we're not going to lose. It's just a shame for a franchise that has done everything right and has done it the right way and hadn't been able to afford guys like these. Um, I want to talk about it from a baseball perspective as much as I possibly can, because like I said, these details, they're disturbing, they're murky. Um, and I'm not sure how it's going to be handled. We've seen things like this in the past, uh, with Trevor Bauer, for instance, where Trevor Bauer was a lot of text messages got, got released, um, in a sort of domestic violence, violence dispute. And it wound up that Trevor Bauer, Bauer never had charges pressed against him. Still, Trevor Bauer was suspended for two years, and the Dodgers wound up having to pay that contract too because there weren't charges pressed against him. Um, I hate to even speculate, but if if he is guilty, but there aren't charges pressed against him, I think that's the worst case scenario because then the guy doesn't have to kind of face up to to what he's done, and then the Rays are also on hook for for the contract. I don't know Wander's future. Um, it definitely seems like a suspension is looming. Uh, an- another 17-year-old girl has come out after this and accused him of similar things. Uh, it's not rare to see one accusation be followed by another, even in cases that are not known to be true. Um, but this is just a, another another bad moment in this story. Um, I just hope for the Rays, I hope for Wander, I hope for baseball's sake that that it's not true and that they can move past this. But I don't know. I just don't know if that's the case. Um, Brad, uh, what have you noticed and what are your thoughts on, on this story and not only what it means for the Rays in baseball, but, but whether there's much we can really take from the information that's out there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's mostly just everything I've seen is there's not a lot of facts that I can really cling to. And I just don't know enough information to comment on what the nature of these relationships were. Um, so it'll be just, I guess, interesting if you want to use that word to see how it all unfolds. I think it's just more unfortunate for the Rays than anything that, you know, they lose their ace. Shane McClanahan goes down now. So, I mean, I saw that he's going to have Tommy John surgery. He's going to miss all of 2024 yeah. Yeah. now. Um, and now their best player has this come up, you know, he has to, he's, he's on the reserve list now, uh, the restricted list, excuse me. Um, it's just unreal for a team that got off to – the Braves weren't the best team all year. At one they point, so that was hot. the Tampa Bay Rays. They got off to a smoking hot start to this season. 
Um, and now it just seems to all be come, coming crashing down as they come down the stretch. So, yeah, and two, to, to, to kind of touch on that, you know, the like Brad said, the Rays started out really hot and then kind of faded a little bit. And it kind of seemed like here recently they were getting back to being the Rays and playing really good baseball. And then, as he mentioned, they lose their ace and then now lose Wander Franco. And it's mm. just like, man, the, a season that started out with so much promise looks like it could be going downhill real quick. Part of that is because mm. of the division they play in, but two, you know, just, just can't catch a break. Yeah. And just as a baseball fan, I hate to see this as baseball fans. We want to, we love the game and we want to share it with other people. And it, it's one of those games that for today's attention spans, it's just tough for some of the younger generation to get behind. These new rule changes have helped a ton. Players like Ellie De La Cruz and Shohei Otani have helped a ton. Mm-hmm. Baseball is more popular than it's been in forever. Attendance is up nine and a half percent this year. The Marlins the freaking Marlins had over a hundred thousand people in attendance at their weekend series versus the Yankees uh, the other day. I mean, that's incredible. That's the second worst fan base in baseball behind the Oakland A's <laughs> when it comes to attendance. Um, and I just hate it because Wander is that guy when people are sitting there knocking baseball and you're like, man, I promise you baseball is cool. And you show them a video of Wander taking a ground ball, taking it out of his hand, flipping it up in the air, catching it and throwing it to first. And you're like, not that that was like a high degree of difficulty, but I have never seen that before on a baseball field. It's cool. I'm sure every little leaguer in America was doing that the next day at practice. Um, you see a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr. that does his little stutter step before he reaches third base and then goes home, is dancing in, in right field, having a great time, just swag for days, and then he gets suspended for steroids. I just hate that some of the most exciting young baseball players in the game, this sort of thing is happening to Um and it's a shame. It really is because Wander was that guy that us in baseball have been looking forward to seeing for a long time. And ever since we've been introduced to him on a professional stage, all he's done is deliver. And we thought we were set to see, see him for the next 15 years. And guys, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I hate to say this to say that he may never play another major yeah, league baseball game again. Yeah. Right. I hope it's not. Sad. I hope not. Hey, real quick, you mentioned the uh, the Yankees playing the Marlins over the weekend. As a longtime sports fan and a longtime Braves fan, it is so enjoyable to see the Yankees and Mets both just floundering in last place. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. best thing. And ever. the Braves beating up on both of them. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I, I saw a stat the other day that showed that the the Yankees have like the their odds have gotten worse by this point in the season from their playoff odds the first day of the season. It's like the third worst drop, something like from like 88 to 6 percentage from opening day to August 15th uh, ever. Mm, um, hate, hate to see it. No, they had a lot of hopes in that starting rotation. They've been <laughs> terrible. And then Aaron Judge went out and that lineup yeah. is absolutely atrocious. Yeah. Um. Speaking of atrocious, uh, I don't know what's going to happen to the 76ers if they lose James Harden. Uh, James Mm. Harden on Monday, uh, at least it was Monday in America. I'm not sure what day it was in China. That's a little murky (laughs) for me right now. But James Harden uh, just did what James Harden does and decided that he was going to force his way out of Philadelphia. This time, I can't say that I blame him. Um, But James Harden was speaking to a group of what looked like kids over in China during his Adidas basketball tour. And he's just giving a speech and he's talking about 
76ers president Daryl Morey, and he just starts a speech with this. He says, and I quote, Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. And after he says this, like the whole room's kind of quiet. Everybody's kind of looking around. And then James Harden just goes, and I quote, let me say this again. Daryl Morey is a liar (laughs) and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Uh, It looks like this stems back to, so Morey agreed to give Harden a big deal this past summer after Harden took a $14 million pay cut last year. Um, For a player this late in his career, who doesn't seem to care about winning that much. I mean, we're talking about James Harden, a guy who openly said that he'd be happy to go back to Houston, a team that had all sorts of problems, was in a total rebuilding mode, got their coach fired. The coach basically said he couldn't coach these youngsters. And James wants to go back to that situation. He he doesn't seem content on winning. And when you're not content on winning, you don't take $14 million pay cuts. So there was something going on between Maury and him, an agreement that clearly mm-hmm. wasn't met. And then seven weeks ago, James Harden opts into his contract. Another weird move for somebody who doesn't seem like they want to be there. But again, it kind of insinuates that, hey, Daryl Morey told me if I opt in, he'll probably trade me. A lot of talk's been out there that Harden wants to go to the Clippers. And if you opt into a contract like that seven weeks before you have an out outrage and say you're not going to play with this guy again clearly he told you something and didn't live up to his side of the deal uh if that's the case there will be an nba investigation and maury and the 76ers are going to be in big trouble guys we're talking about a superstar in this league who once allegedly wore a fat suit before a game (laughs) in order to get his way out of Houston and get shipped off to Brooklyn. And then all of a sudden he shows up in Brooklyn a couple of days later. And all of a sudden it looks like he just went through the best <laughs> fitness routine in human history. Um, Brad, you follow the NBA closely. Uh, what are your thoughts on this James Harden news? Uh, what do the 76ers do? I don't know what else they can do right now. Where does this leave them? Where do you think Harden heads lands? There's just a lot of questions, um, especially, you know, we're kind of getting late into the summer. Yeah, I don't know. What do you do if you're Daryl Morey? I, I feel like I've, I'm in agreement with you that I feel like there must have been a promise made to James Harden. Mm-hmm. Uh, promise is, him, I think. I think yeah, there were yeah, multiple. For him, for him to opt in and, and he, he take a pay his cut option – Take yeah. a pay cut last year and then opt in this year. Mm-hmm. And then have this reaction, this visceral reaction to the trade talks ending. Clearly something happened in between those. There was conversations had where he made promises to James Harden where if he opts in, he can make a move. And now what do you do? I mean, they already tried to trade him. It's not like they didn't try. It doesn't seem – it seems like they made an effort and they couldn't get it done. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, they owe him $35 million, and it's a fully guaranteed contract. So how do you move James Harden? I don't know. It's funny. I feel like we were just kind of in the same situation with Philadelphia, though. He wasn't quite the asset, but Ben Simmons, you know, like where they were just desperate to try to figure out a situation to get him out of there and couldn't really. Um, I assume this ends up with them taking pennies on the dollar for James yep. Harden cuz I don't know I don't know what else you do. You owe him all that money. Uh 
seemingly regardless, I don't know if there's some sort of clause in his contract about whether or not he plays and whether that can void any guaranteed money or not. I don't really know all the details of that contract, but if you owe him that money then and he's not going to play, then you have to just make some sort of move. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be pretty what they get. I'm pretty sure if he sits out this year that that contract just kicks out in the next year. So I don't think sitting out does anything for anybody. Okay. Well, then that's it. That's good information to have. To answer your question, then I would probably force him to sit out because I just don't know what is he going to do if James Harden can't play basketball anymore and the contract rolls over. I mean, I think that that's a that's a real. He's going to go on tour with the baby, his boy that he always hangs out in the Houston clubs. I, I didn't know that, and that's a real interesting bit of information to have because. That that makes him seem like he's the one that's locked in and and in the tougher spot than the Sixers, um, and that's probably why Maury made the decision he did. Now he probably didn't do it in an ethical way, and that's interesting that you say that there could be ramifications for that. But uh, I'd make him sit. <laughs> I mean, if you don't want to play, then don't. Well, here's where I stand on it. I I cannot believe I'm taking James Harden's side. First <clears throat> off, uh, I cannot believe it. Um, I don't blame James Harden if if. If the way I read these tea leaves are correct, I would want out too, and I would not want to play for Daryl Morey. You can't mess with my livelihood like that and make promises when I'm taking a $14 million pay cut based on the promise that you made me of either signing me to a long-term deal or trading me. Um, So I don't blame him for wanting out. But also, if I'm 76ers ownership, or if I'm Joel Joel Embiid, I'm furious with Daryl Morey. Go look at the Vegas odds on where they expect James Harden to play in 2023, 2024. Tell me one of those teams where he has more value on that team than he does the 76ers. The 76ers, he is a good fit with them. I know he's not a perfect player at this age. I know he's got his flaws, but nobody needs him more than the 76ers in an Eastern Conference that has two teams right now in the Bucks and Celtics that you really got to get by. And I think with Joel Embiid, um, Tyrese Maxey, and that bunch with James Harden, that they can absolutely win the Eastern Conference if, if the ball bounces the right way for them. And Joel Embiid, a couple days ago, removed Philadelphia as his location on his Twitter profile. Joel Embiid has to be furious. I know this sounds wild, but if I'm Sixers ownership, after what all I've been through with trust the process and tanking and Jimmy mm. Butler and Ben Simmons. I've tried Mm -hmm. and tried and tried. If I lose out on James Harden, I'm whittling this thing down similar to the way the Dallas Mavericks have, but even worse with trading all these assets and all these draft picks and all these pieces. And then you're just left with less and less and less after each move. I'm saying, look, it is time to go all in right now. And I hate that all in is James Harden, but I'm getting rid of Daryl Morey. I'm keeping James Harden. And I'm saying, look, Joel Embiid has, I think, three years left on his contract before he has a player option. We have to make the most of these last three years, and the way you do it is with James Harden on this team. And the only way James Harden is playing for this team is if Daryl Morey's gone. So, Daryl Morey, you're not as important as my NBA assist leading guard. I'm sorry. Yeah, and he's been on the hot seat for years anyway, going back to what you were saying with where they've done this start over again and again and again. getting high draft bets and then dumping them off year after year. Um, so they could possibly take that approach. Not to mention Daryl Morey, you're the one who brought yeah. James Harden into this situation. You're the one that gave us mm-hmm. this problem. 
Yeah. Like I do keep going back. You have to a com- exercise, you have a commission like, painting of James Harden over your doorway in your home. Like, how did you let the relationship get to this point? I'm sorry. I just still can't figure out why he opted in though. Like, even if he's making promises to you, like, can't you just walk away and figure out, you know, your own side of this thing? Go get I think some he opted somewhere in because else. I think he opted in because James Harden's agent went around the NBA and was like, James, we cannot get as much as I well, and that's as you, you say that because you said that he took a pay cut earlier, though, and that was the first thing I thought. I was like, took a pay cut last stand, summer, right, right. But doesn't he stand the to benefit more by opting into this contract because he's not he knows he's not worth that much going forward. Um, so in a way, you know, yes, maybe Daryl Moore didn't keep up his end of the bargain in some capacity. But he does, his value is not $35 million on another team somewhere. No, it's not. And the, and the reason Daryl Morey didn't keep up his end of the bargain is because I promise you what happened was Daryl Morey said, take a pay cut last offseason. Let's put some pieces around you like the P.J. Tucker move. Let's yeah. go for this title. And then after this, when you're due, I'll sign you to you know, that four-year, $200 million contract that you want. And James Harden's like, cool, man. And then all of a sudden, it just came time to pay him this, this year. And, I mean, and Daryl Morey said... Well, that'd be a terrible basketball decision. Who cares about my promises? Uh, Tim yeah. McMahon, Ban McMahon on ESPN today, um, he made the point. He goes, there's no other front office guy in basketball who's more comfortable with the uncomfortable situation than Daryl Morey. <laughs> so Daryl Morey does not care that he's been put in this situation. Daryl Morey created this situation for himself and said, hey, me telling James Harden to take this pay cut was what's best for the team last year and me not signing him to a long-term deal is what's best for the team this year and going forward. And I don't care who I piss off. Yeah. And by the way, the team that he wants to go to the Clippers, which is what he was continuously saying, that's his favorite location uh, destination. They're like the one team that especially can't afford to take him on, you know, <laughs> no, they they're can't. like uh, they're. I was looking at it earlier. I forget what the number is, but they're a significant amount over the luxury tax. I don't even think the NBA would approve a trade that would allow him to land there. Um, so he, he hasn't made the situation easy. Uh, even if they did, you know, try to work with him in some capacity. So it'll be interesting to see what they do now. Um, I sort of think he just ends up playing, you know, um, but we'll see. I, I don't think so. I don't think he plays for Daryl Morey. I just don't. I don't. Yeah. They've got, they've had such a long relationship. He knows everything about this guy. He does not take a stand like he does today. Um, and guys, we were talking about this before the pod. Uh, I'm going to kind of, uh, divert away from my point here real quick. Mm-hmm. Daryl Morey's the same owner that got in hot water by the NBA by tweeting out that I stand with Hong Kong stuff yeah um yeah and china is one of the fills the pockets of the nba more than almost anybody and the nba is like don't you dare take up political stances against (laughs) china when they are absolutely a cash cow to this organization yeah and for james harden to go over to china and to say that in front of a people in front of a group of people whose government probably has told them that daryl morey is the enemy is just (laughs) mm, chef's kiss (laughs) <laughs> yeah that is good but so if he goes to the Clippers though let's talk about what you can actually get for James Harden and that's my whole point in saying I'm firing Daryl Morey if I'm the Sixers because I cannot make my team better by trading James Harden if you trade him to the Clippers what are you getting some expiring contracts and Terrence Mann yeah 
that's they the won't best. even give they they won't even I think that was why the whole trade talks broke down is because they won't give a they won't they're not willing to give up Terrence man. It's probably like Norm Powell and some expiring contracts, honestly. Like that And what does that do for Joel and B coming off an MVP year in the prime of his career with only a few years left on the contract? Yeah, Absolutely not nothing. much. Not much. Absolutely nothing. Mm. You're just taking a year off and you're saying, Hey, go win forty eight games, get me a five <clears> seed, <throat> and let's lose in the first or second round. Uh, with the most dominant big man in the NBA, not named Nikola Jokic, let's 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 go down the list. Okay, the Clippers are f- plus five hundred odds to land James Harden. All right, you can give them Terrence Mann. Okay, the Atlanta <clears throat> Hawks. What on God's green earth are the Hawks going to give the Sixers? I can't even yeah. think of anything. I really can't. Clint Capella, and what does Clint Capella do paired w- along with Joel Embiid? Yeah, nothing. Doesn't nothing. work. Let's let's keep yeah. going down the list. <laughs> you want to talk about a team that has just shredded their assets coming in at plus six fifty, the Minnesota Timberwolves. What mm. what do they have left? And why yeah. would you put James Harden next to Ant when you're when you're literally moving the whole franchise towards this guy to have the ball in his hands and you're gonna put one of the most dominant ball handlers in basketball to pair along with them? No, that's a terrible G- idea. Given the recent track record of the T-Wolves, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened as he ended up on that team because they are really good at messing those things up right now. But then you're paying Ant uh, a Supermax contract. You're paying Nas Reed, that huge contract. They just signed him. Rudy Gobert, that monster contract. Carl Anthony Towns, that monster contract. Mm. You want to talk about luxury tax for a small market team. My goodness. Uh, A-Rod's the new minority owner there. He'd be shelling out some cash. (laughs) Um, they would be they'd be my number one NBA League Pass team to watch. So I will say that you put James Harden and Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, those personalities together, um, you'd be sabotaging Ant, but boy, it would be fun to watch. Um, the next favorites, the the Sixers, they're plus seven fifty. Here's one on the list that intrigues me. Every team after that I really don't understand, but here is one that makes some sense to me in some way. The Miami Heat come in at plus eight hundred. We all know what the Heat have been trying to do this whole offseason. They've been going after Dame. Clearly, they're not getting their way. Portland wants to get a haul for Dame. Miami doesn't have that to give up. You're not going to have to give up what you would for Dame for James Harden. You won't. And James Mm. Harden on that team could be a fit. Um, I think playing alongside Jimmy, I don't think that's the worst pairing in the world. I think in that lineup, it'd be all right. Tyler Hero would if you're the heat would you give up tyler hero for james harden I, baller. I mean how, how desperate are you to win and win now that's your question because i think if you're the sixers with as angry as harden is right now if the heat agree to trade tyler hero i run for that trade and say yes let's do it this gets rid of my james harden problem i can go out and win basketball games with tyler hero in this lineup um but if I'm the Heat, I don't know, man. You're you're going all in on one or two years. Mm. All right. So moving on. Um, it'll be interesting to see where James Harden winds up. Uh, the one thing on this betting list, though, is that uh, retire or play for an international team is only 10 to 1. That's not that long of odds. That's a 9.1% chance. <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> I mean, honestly, knowing James Harden, especially what he's doing over in China right now, I mean, China could pay him 
$500 million. Or have you seen all this money the Saudis have been offering to, to soccer players and to golfers and stuff? I mean, yeah. the Saudis could sit there and talk to James Harden and be like, yeah, yeah, we like basketball. Let's start a league. Let's do it up. And James <laughs> Harden would be like, dude, I will be the face of that league. Let's go. Um, our next topic. Guys, if you've stuck around, listeners, if you've made it this far on the show, we know you're only waiting for one thing. And that's Jacksonville Jaguars coverage. <laughs> Duval. All right. So let's go, Brad. Tell us why you are so excited for. And by the way, I do have to say this before that. I can't talk much crap about the Jacksonville Jaguars as much as I can. The Jacksonville Jaguars have made three AFC championships since the Cowboys last made an NFC championship, <laughs> which is just mind-blowing yeah that's a beautiful thing clark forster have been to a jags afc championship game and have never gotten to go to a cowboys nfc championship game um i pray to god that changes this year but take it away brad why are you excited about the jags yeah well speaking of the cowboys i got to watch a lot of the exhibition game this weekend where they did beat the cowboys um it's kind of fun. You, say, so, you said that like you were bragging about a preseason game. I'm going to pretend, you, I'm pretend yeah. you did not. Anytime the, the the Jaguars beat the Cowboys, it's a it's a pleasure. He enjoyed thing. saying that for sure. Well, good. Yeah. I'm glad you've gotten a hel- heavy helping in the year of our Lord 2023. Well, it's kind of interesting too because Doug Peterson plays the starters during the preseason, which like no other coach does, uh, unless you have rookies or whatever the case may be on the team. But yeah, all the st- all the starters are rolling out. So you get you do get a little bit of a look at the team, but yeah, I watched most of the game and I really couldn't contain myself. The hype surrounding <laughs> he not this contain team. himself on preseason week one. My goodness, <laughs> love it, love it. The hype is for real, is particularly with the offense, man. Uh, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I think he's due for a really big season. Uh, I think the Jags are are going to make a huge impact this season in the AFC. Uh, they got all the weapons that Trevor needs around him now. Uh, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram. These guys all had career. They years just resigned Evan Ingram again, season. right? So he's yeah, locked he up came for a little off, while, isn't he? Yeah. He set the Jags record last year for receiving yards in a season for a tight And Christian Kirk, too, y'all gave so. $17 million to, and I was laughing at that. Um, and we gave like $15 million to Michael Gallup, and that turned out to be a disaster with his injury. <laughs> $17 million looked so rich for Christian Kirk, and he was so yeah. dang good last year. And I'm – yeah, just as a football yards, fan, eight touchdowns. Just as a football fan, I'm yeah. so excited to see what he can do with another year under Doug mm-hmm. Peterson, another year of Trevor Lawrence maturity, and playing with Calvin Ridley in that offense where he's going to not have the attention he did last year. So right. Christian Kirk could be a star. Right, for sure. And Travis Travis Etienne over 1,400 yards from scrimmage last year, and his what was essentially his rookie season. He didn't play at all in 2021. Brad, what percentage of those if you had to guess were receiving yards? I'm just curious. Uh, he had a little over a thousand yards rushing and around 300 receiving. So yeah, okay. I still think that's um, something that you can unlock with him coming out of the backfield. You know, uh, interesting thing, but I think he's a little underrated between the tackles, though. I think he's a really good runner. Um, they added Tank Bigsby too for some death from more Auburn. Yeah, yeah uh, I like him. He's a good bell cow. So that's depth in the backfield there. But now you add Calvin Ridley to this re- receiving core, who in his last full season with Atlanta, ninety receptions over thirteen hundred yards, and it's a contract year for Ridley. He'll be twenty nine at the end of the year, so he'll be out to prove that he can still go and try to get paid one more time. I think he's only made like. 12 million dollars or something like that in his nfl career 
which I say only, but I mean, all things considered, that's just not as much money as you would think. He lost half of a gambling. Star. Yeah, well, <laughs> and he lost a substantial amount due to this. Uh, I think he lost, I forget what the figure is, but it's a substantial amount of guaranteed money due to this suspension too. So the dude is going to want to get paid. So he'll be out to prove it this year. Um, so yeah, Lawrence is just surrounded by weapons. I was actually looking at his MVP odds earlier on Fan- FanDuel. He's at 16 to 1. Six best odds in the league to win the MVP, which I just can't believe. Five players at 16-1, including Dak, by the way. Uh, two is there, Lamar Jackson, and four-time MVP Aaron Rodgers. I know he's on the Jets now, but I'm just going to say that again because I want to say it out loud. Trevor Lawrence has the same odds to win the NFL MVP as Aaron Rodgers. I can't You're believe bragging that's a about a guy thing. who's got the same odds as Dak Prescott, and from what I've been told, <laughs> the only thing Dak Prescott does is throw interceptions. So yeah. I don't know how much of that to brag about. In, in practice. Here, yeah. here, here's yeah, what in I practice. think. By the way, there's 32 quarterbacks at training camp. Only one is throwing an interception. That's Dak Prescott, according to the media. <laughs> that's all he does. Here's what I think. Yeah, is really this is not a Dak though. Prescott conversation. Go on. Uh, if you look at the guys in front of him, Hertz, Allen, Burrow, and Herbert, I'm not going to include Mahomes because he doesn't count in this conversation, but those guys all made significant leaps in their third year. Burrow, Allen, and Hertz all finished top five. And then you could technically MVP say this is Trevor's second season. year. I mean, with, with what happened with Urban Meyer in the first year, and I, I'm, I'm yeah. saying that to add to your point, not to take no away doubt. from it. And Herbert finished ninth last year in his third season. Trevor Lawrence, of course, entering his third year in the NFL now. Um, I'm not going to say bet on him to win the MVP, but I just think he's due for a monster breakout year. Um, some odds I do like, though, for, if you're into betting futures for the Jags, they're over, over under on wins is nine and a half. I think the over is a lot. What do you think the total is going to be? Well, do you first think like eleven and you, five. You got you got six games first: the Titans, the Colts, and the Texans. That goes a long way. That's the worst <laughs> yeah. division in football. I think ten is the floor. I think 11 and 12 is pretty reasonable, and they have upside from there. They have the – coming in, based on last year's records, they have the 10th easiest schedule in the NFL, and I think it's actually easier than that. I'll talk about that in a little bit because the schedule is probably the part I'm most excited about. Uh, but I, I see I see 10 wins as a floor, 11 and 12, certainly a reasonable thing to to get to. If they get to 11 and 12 wins, I don't see any way that Doug Peterson doesn't win Coach of the Year. I actually sprinkled a little bit on that myself at 23 to one. Uh, I think that's <laughs> <laughs> he uh, to let's not forget Urban Meyer two years ago. One of the biggest shit shows this league's ever seen uh, last Unreal. year, last year through three quarters of the season, this team was four and eight. So if they turn around, win this division, three and seven the, start even worse. Right. Right. I mean, if they turn around, win the division Get put up 11 or 12 wins. I don't see a way that he doesn't get coach of the year. So I, I really like that play. But guys, I got to talk about the schedule. Some of this blow, blew me away. Week 13 versus the Beagles. Bengals. They're on Monday night football. It is their first Monday night football game since 2011. It's been 12 since years. Since 2011? Wow. Yeah. I mean, wow. Monday night usually has like the 
fifth best game of the it, weekend. It really surprised me because this generally not some marquee matchup. I can't yeah. believe they haven't been on it this long. Now, this makes more sense, but it still blew me away. Week 15 against the Ravens, they're on Sunday night football. Their first Sunday night football game since 2008. What? 15 My years. goodness. 15 so, years. Hold possible. on. Even after the Jags made the AFC Championship a few years ago, they did not have a Sunday night football Correct. game the following year? That's unreal. Correct. Both of those primetime games are in Jacksonville. So Duval is going to be lit. I can't wait for that. They got a rematch with the Chiefs in week two. That's in Jacksonville. They got the Niners in week 10. That's in Jacksonville. They play the Bills in London in week five. They're the first team ever that's going to have back-to-back games in London. Play the Falcons in week four. Bills in week five. They're London's essentially their home away from home. So that's a, that's a home game. So on top of having one of the easiest schedules in the league, all their marquee games are at home. So not only do I love the team, I love the way the schedule sets up for them. Boys, I think they've got a legit legit shot to finish with the best record in the AFC and get the bye. Let me rain on your parade. <laughs> Bring it. <sighs> so first off, Vegas does not believe in you. Vegas is, is heavily favored as you are to win the AFC South. Uh, I mean – Whoopty. Uh, you're 14 to one to win the AFC. You're 28 to one to win the Super Bowl. And there's two different parts of this team that I'm concerned about. Last year, the Jags were tied for 25th in sacks. You plan to be this high scoring offense that, you know, jumps out in front of everybody, in front of everybody. You're going to have to rush the passer. And you weren't able to do that last year. Mm. Now you've definitely got the makeup for it. You've got the potential. You've got three first rounders on that defensive line. Um, I don't know what you're going to get out of Caleb Von Chase on. That was a guy the Cowboys were, were talking about drafting as well and decided to pass on out of LSU. Um, Trayvon Walker is the big one. You got three and a half mm. sacks out of him last year. He was the number one overall pick out of Georgia. You passed on Aiden Hutchinson to go him. Uh, you went with upside instead of high floor. Um, Aiden Hutchinson – Golly, he looks good last year in Detroit. Mm. Um, you're gonna need you're gonna need Trayvon Walker to be that guy you, you hoped he would, and you're gonna need Josh Allen to continue to play the way he he did. So those three first rounders, you're gonna have to get something out of. You're gonna have to be better than 25th in sacks, even though your defense was all right last year. They didn't get the quarterback at the rate they needed to. Another issue I'm concerned about is that offensive line. Pro Football Focus, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a, a great website. They grade every single play. Uh, we're not going to sit here and tell you that that we watch games and look at the offensive line and can judge offensive line play unless mm-hmm. just some quarterback's getting killed or the runner can't make it past the line of scrimmage. They're the best way to do it. It's not perfect. It's not always – you'll see former NFL offensive linemen disagreeing with them all the time, but they grade each and every player. They grade each and every play. And they've got the Jags as the 26th best O-line in football entering 2023. Um, so you're having trouble rushing the passer. You had trouble rushing the passer last year. Uh, the the um, football nerds are saying that you're going to have trouble protecting the passer this year. I'm curious, you drafted Anton Harrison, the left tackle out of OU in the first round this year. That was a guy who a lot of people had a second round grade on, early third round grade, but because of the position he played, um, it wasn't a surprise that he got in late in the first round. Is he going to actually start at left tackle for you guys? He'll have to, yeah. Um, unfortunately, they uh, so they lost Jawan Taylor in free agency. He went to the Chiefs. Um, 
and Cam Robinson is suspended for the first six games of the season. He was taking steroids, which, by the way, I fully support because he wasn't that good. So I'm hoping that he'll come back bigger, faster, yeah, gotta stronger. Got to try to be better. Yeah, got to be better. Um, so they draft Anton Harrison. I, you know, I don't know enough about him to know. Hopefully he does something and can contribute. Uh, I actually really like the interior of the line. Uh, Luke Fortner, Brandon, Brandon Scherf. Scherf. Like, there's some solid players. Like, again, like like you said, like, what do I know about the offensive line? But those guys have been names in the NFL that have contributed for a long time. Uh, and then they have Walker Little on the other side who we'll see what happens. They got to get Cam Robinson back on the field. I have the same concerns about the offensive line. Um, we'll see. I mean, they just got in a real bad, putting up a real bad spot where they let Jawan Taylor walk out the door, who's probably the best member of that line, or certainly our best tackle. And then Cam Robinson gets suspended shortly thereafter. So, in, in your defense and offensive line, it is a league wide problem. Um, <laughs> I I can't stand preseason. I used to try to talk myself into getting excited for it. I'd watch one quarter and just immediately turn off the TV. It's just bad football. <laughs> And as soon as you see starting offensive linemen go in the game and back up offensive linemen come in, it is terrible. It third, is bad. third string defensive linemen absolutely wreck shop with second string offensive linemen in the NFL. And every single team in the pros seems to have a little bit of concern over their offensive line, not outside of the Philadelphia Eagles, who don't even get me started on that freaking super team. Feel like what the Cowboys um, used to be up front. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. The same list that I just referenced, Pro Football Focus Top 20 top 2023 offensive line they have the cowboys as sixth and ask any cowboys fan who knows what they're talking about that is the biggest concern on the football team by far they are one injury away which they also have a left tackle who's been injured every single year for that past half decade who's due to go down in any moment um, they're one injury away from just completely having their season wrecked because they've got five capable guys and the sixth best is absolutely terrible um, so offensive line is a problem around the league. You guys do have some youngsters on there, especially that left tackle we just named. So we don't know what we're going to get there. Um, a lot of it's chemistry as well. You can take names, but it's all how they play together. And it is your backups as well. Somebody's eventually going to get hurt. Um, on the offensive line, if you can just kind of duct tape a spot, you're all right. But if you put in somebody who's just a, a, a swinging gate, then you're in big trouble. Um, so there's no telling how that's going to be. Uh, but y'all are going to have to score a ton of points to win games this year. And I think y'all will, but it's going to have to be, I mean, y'all are going to have to be up there around 26, 27, 28 points per game over, over a 17 game span to, to do the type of things that you and Duval and other <laughs> friends of ours want them to do. Um, Brad, a couple of things that I do like uh, for the Jags, you know, a couple of important depth pieces, if you will. One, you mentioned him, Tank Bigsby. Uh, mm. You know, he was super fun to watch at Auburn, and he was playing behind yeah. a non-existent offensive line. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he averaged getting hit like two yards behind the line of scrimmage while yeah. he was uh, – it was unbelievable that he could even <laughs> average uh, positive yards per carry while he was there. Uh, it's really shameful that we couldn't utilize him better. But also um, a another depth piece on the defensive side of the ball is Daniel Thomas out of mm. Montgomery, Alabama, who also uh, played at Auburn. Um, you know, that guy, he's one of those guys where, you know, he, he wasn't big coming out of, out of high school, you know, went to Auburn, had a good career there. Um, but he's just kind of one of those guys that kind of gets slept on everywhere that he goes. But that guy can ball. So, 
Um, excited to see if, if he can do anything this season. Hell yeah. All right, that's enough with the Jags talk. Final thoughts. <laughs> Brad, we'll start with you. What you got? Uh, I can't get through a podcast without talking the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, you know, it's funny. We talked about the Wyndham Championship last week, but all we talked about was JT. Uh, we had uh, we had uh, Lu- Lucas, had Glover. Lucas Glover. Thank Lucas you, Lucas Glover. Lucas Glover huh, wins Lucas the tournament. Uh, he was outside the top seventy going into that tournament. Wins that tournament to get into the playoffs. Turns around, wins again this week. Uh, beats Patrick Cantley in a playoff. Patrick Cantley. By the way, I'm going to the Tour Championship, and the last one I went to, Patrick Cantley won it. The last thing I wanted to see was that guy shoot back up to number one. So when he put his drive in the water on 18, uh, very grateful for that. But uh, but now Lucas Glover shot all the way up to fourth in the FedEx Cup standings after being on the outside looking in, 43 years old. One of two, I think, that are over 40 left in the playoffs. If, Je- uh, if Justin Rose doesn't make the cut, he's 32. If he doesn't make it to the Tour Championship, he'll be the only one over 40 that does make it. So quite a little Cinderella story going in, uh, going through the playoffs here. Um, did y'all see any of the Sunday coverage, by the way? Yeah, he needs to buy some new Dockers for sure. <laughs> oh Wait, some new what? Dockers. But he had the most... In- <laughs> Inappropriate level of butt sweat I've mm. ever seen on television. It was That's unfortunate, real. Um, I couldn't get over it. I mean, but, he uh, needs to all sorts of baby powder down. <laughs> he needs in his to be regions. wearing some some of those new uh, bird dogs pants. You know, maybe we can get a sponsorship mm. out of those guys, or you know, mm. one one of those companies like that. <laughs> but yeah, after the tournament, though, he goes on record as saying he thinks he belongs on the Ryder Cup team, which I thought was interesting. I don't quite see it yet, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how he figure finishes up down the stretch he's up to 16th in the standings and he's fourth on the fedex cup standings. so two wins under his belt now and he's playing really good right now you want guys on the team that are that are hot yeah, don't see how he's gonna need another win for us to really have that conversation yeah potentially but uh but we'll see we'll see um, i still think i still think it's gonna take so much to knock jt off i think they're gonna justify jt being the number 12 and especially with him on the committee you know, there were guys that we, uh, and I don't want to get too side off track, but there were guys we didn't even mention last week that belong ahead of JT. Uh, Tony Finau, Bryson DeChambeau probably deserves to be in that conversation. Shot a 58 and one on the Live Tour last week. So there's a lot of guys that we didn't even talk about that have, that have uh, a serious stake to claim on that Bryson, team. Bryson, I can't, don't even give me a start on him. I, I agree with you, but my goodness, if they take. <laughs> That guy over JT for the Ryder Cup. Holy cow. Uh, <laughs> that good old boys club on the Ryder Cup would absolutely lose their minds. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, hopefully you can go there this year. And there's actually some drama. We'll talk about this on another pod, but I actually cannot stand that tournament. It's the one sporting event where they try to remove as much competition and drama from it going in as they possibly can. Um, I understand why they do it. Uh, splitting them up and having you kind of earn your way to your your strokes, but uh, it just you're just hoping all weekend that it gets interesting at the end. James, uh, today is Tuesday, August fifteenth, twenty twenty three. Tell us what happened on other August fifteenths in the world of sports. All right, hope you boys are ready. Buckle up. 
So this day in sports history, you know, my, my first one is not quite as far back as last week's going back to 1900 to the precursor for the Davis Cup. So we're not getting quite that old school, but I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting. This kind of plays into something I mentioned last week in 1939. So still back in the day, first night game played at Comiskey Park in Chicago. So last week it was the first night game at Wrigley in 1988. This week we get the first night game at Comiskey was in 1939 and the White Sox beat the Cleveland Browns 5 to 2. Yeah, they were the Cleveland Browns back in the day. I thought that was interesting. Okay. So <laughs> this day in sports history, 1964, Mayor Richard M. Daley declares Ernie Banks Mr. Cub Day in Chicago. I've now always liked talking. Ernie Banks. Yeah. Let's play two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Always like that guy. Um, <laughs> so kind of, of uh, speaking of golf, there were several PGA championships that were decided on August 15th back, back throughout history. So in 1965, Dave Marr beats Billy Casper and Jack Nicholas for the, for the PGA championship in 1993. Paul Azinger wins in a playoff over the Shark, Greg Norman. In 99, Tiger Woods beats Sergio Garcia by one. In 2004, Vijay Singh wins in a playoff over Chris DeMarco and Justin Leonard. And then interestingly interestingly enough, that very next year, Phil Mickelson wins by one over Steve Elkington and Thomas Bjorn. So a couple of PGA championships decided on this day in history. I'm glad they moved that tournament around and finished with the British, but I'm not going to lie. In the dog days of August, it would be nice to be watching a golf major right now. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So in 1990, Mark McGuire is the first player in baseball history to hit 30 home runs in each of his first four seasons. Wow. Mm. Interesting. I wonder how many people have hit 30 home runs as a rookie because I'm sure that's the hiccup in that stat. I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I was That's kinda, a cool one. Yeah. I was surprised by that. Yeah. All right. So Clark, you'll, you'll uh, really like this one in 1993. One of our favorite players ever, Nolan Ryan records his 324th and final victory of his career. Rangers beat the Indians four to one. Yeah, son. <laughs> it was probably still pumping 97. He was, he was for sure close to 100, no doubt about it. It probably beat somebody <laughs> up too. So then 2012, the Seattle Mariners' Felix Hernandez becomes a 23rd pitcher to throw a perfect game, winning 1-0. Oh, that night was great. Over that night race. was great. King Felix. People forget. I, I hope yeah, people so are good. forgetting about what he did. Mm. He had a mm. three-year span where he was just one of the most dominant pitchers we've ever seen. Um not quite what Pedro was in the late nineties, but not far behind for that little awesome. short time. He was, he um, was awesome. All right. And then, uh, the last one, this is very recent happened today. So this is breaking news. The Montgomery biscuits have introduced two new mascots to go along with big Mo, the biscuit eating anteater and miss <laughs> M- gravy, Montgomery's favorite pig. <laughs> So they have two new mascots. One is a bacon biscuit and one is a chicken biscuit. So there are these biscuits with big googly eyes that are going to run around the track 
and <laughs> uh, and be there, you know, for kids to beat up on throughout the the minor league games. So, with that being said, they just released the names of these new mascots today. They they left it up to the fans to submit entries for the names and then had a vote on it. And the winners were announced today. So, with that Let's being said, the bacon <laughs> biscuit was named Chris P. Bacon. So crispy bacon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Montgomery. Awesome. The chicken biscuit was named Cluck Norris. <laughs> <laughs> so crispy bacon and Cluck Norris are now going to be running around Riverwalk Stadium <laughs> in downtown Montgomery. Let's go biscuits. So Cluck Norris. That's yeah. legendary. When you said that breaking news today and. August 15th history, <laughs> the Montgomery Biscuits. I thought you were about to say it was like Wander Franco jersey giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, we missed out I was like, that. what I a collector's would, item, man. I a Wander would, Franco know. Biscuits jersey on the 15th. Now, I will say, I hate to joke about this, but that giveaway night would have been better on the 14th. Indeed. But Indeed. moving on. <laughs> uh, my final thought, guys, y'all know how I feel about this man. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Dirty. Uh, the guy who's given me so much in my sports life. Uh, Dirk and Whiskey got inducted into the Hall of Fame this weekend, uh, along well with deserved. Paul Gasol, Tony Parker, uh, Dwayne Wade, Greg Popovich. Um, obviously, it's no surprise Dirk's in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest to ever do it. Uh, 2007 NBA MVP, 2011 NBA Finals MVP, a uh, 30,000 point club, sixth all-time leading scorer. Uh, the man has done it all. Um, and he's done it all with grace and dignity and a sense of humor that is unlike very many athletes we've seen. And yes, I'm getting mm -hmm. emotional as I speak about it. Cause I mean, the guy is just, he's one of those guys. Well, and you can ask Ma Mavericks fans. If Mark Cuban went today and said, we're going to change the name of the team to the Dallas Dirks. I think everybody in Dallas would be like, cool. I like that. I'm buying the Jersey tomorrow. Um, he, there's no more beloved athlete to their city. And I really do believe this than Dirk and whiskey is to Dallas. And this is coming in a city that is all about the Dallas Cowboys. That is diehard football in a diehard state. And you ask sports fans in Dallas, what athlete in the history of the city means the most to them. And it will overwhelmingly be, Dirk Nowitzki, um, the inventor of the stretch four, the inventor of the one-legged fadeaway. Uh, God bless the man. That's all I got to say. <laughs> God bless the man. <laughs> Guys, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening to the show, following us on Instagram and all the nice text messages. Uh, we really do appreciate the support. If you've made it this far, please share with your friends. Give us five stars on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts, and help us spread the word. See y'all next week. Later. Been, been real, y'all.